Talk About It Outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. Nick Wilson, the man, the myth, the legend, Cody Watson, has returned from the Midwest to be with us tonight. We got a fun one for you. I know you're going to enjoy it. Pull up a chair and sit a while. We're going to chat about it. Nicholas Waddy has finally came back to be with us. He got off his high horse, got his gallon of milk, and come all the way back from Colorado to take a drink and sit a while. I know it, man. I had to meet him out there at Twin Forks, show him how to get back over yeah, here. Yeah, send me the address today. Drop, drop him the GPS coordinates. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he's been away for quite some time, but we're glad to have him back. Caden's here with us. And we don't know if we're going to let him talk tonight or not. He might have something to bring to the table. He's had a little bit of excitement already this year, but we'll see how that goes. But without further ado, tonight, this this is kind of a special episode for us because become somebody that we've really been involved with from the get-go in an indirect way, more so directly as of late, with a lot of our merchandising and some of the marketing stuff that we've been putting together. The guy's got an eye for everything that is to be if you want to excel in anything you do. He's the owner of Slate Media Studios. He's involved in enough outfitters to put us all away for the rest of our life uh, in hunting trips. Without further ado, Alan Bullman, welcome to Talk About It Outdoors. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you guys having me on. Is it Has it been long enough since I, uh, I finally agreed to, to do a show with you? It's uh yeah, I've been I've been begging. I've been begging for it for a while. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, I had to draw a number, I had to draw straws. I didn't know if I was on the long list or the short list. Well, I know when uh, Matt was on and through the years and us knowing Matt, he's always spoke very highly of you. Cody and I have watched you on social media, do a lot of the things that you do and the the pictures, the the marketing, the merchandise, the deer the generosity that you share with anyone that needs any kind of information or help in this industry, it, it doesn't go unnoticed, and we appreciate you. Everything you've done for us thus far, and we're just getting started for sure. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, definitely uh, <clears throat> been in the industry a long time, and, and my whole thing is to give back. Uh, you know, give back, and it'll come back to you tenfold in this industry for sure. What uh well first of all I want you to tell people who you are because you're really a quiet kind of person and you really don't and it's hard for me to introduce you because in a way I don't really know who you are so why don't you take us through where you're from you know how you got your start in hunting and and we'll go from there. Well, it's a it's a long story that's short, but uh, originally from North Carolina, um, started hunting you know at a, at a young age in North Carolina and. In the mountains of North Carolina and Hendersonville, uh, it was definitely very, very uh, difficult. You know, the, uh, those mountain deer are definitely much different than the Kentucky and Bowling Green where I'm at now, where I end up, where I call home. But um, <clears throat> started out hunting with a group of friends, uh, high school buddies uh, for years, you know, traveled all over, went to Michigan. We'd take 10 days a year, uh, you know, out of our time, out of work. Um, I'm a packaging engineer by trade, uh, kind of what a lot of people definitely know me for, uh, from design work and doing different things in the packaging paper industry for years. And one day um, decided to, hey, I'm going to have my own hunting TV show like everyone else does <laughs> and, and decided to kind of get into it. And I'd always done graphics work and apparel and, and, and owned multiple companies throughout the years. 
and uh, one day just kind of decided and I was going, you know, making good money in the, you know, as an engineer, just do, you know, doing that type of stuff made really, really good money doing that and decided I was going to walk away one day and uh, pursue what I really enjoyed, which was um, photography, video work. You know, I videoed quite a bit of people in this industry, had my own TV show for four years uh, in the industry. Uh, and definitely, I decided to walk away from a good job. And me and my wife went from a log cabin and 20-something acres to a 420-square-foot studio apartment with no stove in it. Oh, wow. And Talk about a change. So... Uh, and we started, you know, my wife worked for Humana and, and I just said, look, I'm going to do this, you know, to, to making nothing. Um, and we had a little retail store up front, started my studio in the back, then all the graphics work and stuff like that. And I had been doing some small stuff for the industry for years and decided, look, you know, I'm going to make this work or it's not going to work. You know, it's just, it has to, I didn't have a, I made myself not have a choice whether I was going to make it or not. Uh, <clears throat> met Matt. Um, I filmed him uh, quite a bit for her first two years of the game. Um, a lot of the footage and stuff in the production you see was myself in collaboration with some other guys and him. And uh, got to meet a lot of cool people in the industry over the years and made a lot of relationships. And uh, I felt that, you know, when I had my own TV show, I felt that for me, that wasn't the way to go. Um, I'm better behind the camera than in front of the camera um, and started that. But back to the apparel stuff, I had an opportunity. I was only doing that for about a year and a half. And I started doing hats for the company that I'm with now, which is Greater Half Eagle Fulfillment, and, and got an opportunity. They approached me and um, they decided to purchase my business and then hire me on to run it. Oh, wow. Um, so we've grown tenfold uh, in the custom side. They were doing mainly sublimation, full um, overall printing in the industry. And, and we decided to bring the custom side of the business in, uh, which is kind of what I know, which is what I've done pretty much. And kind of being the out in the forefront of the industry, trying to come up with new things, the leather, um, you know, I you broke down what Brandon Bills had had with their leather, leather hats and said, there's got to be a better way to do this, uh, to, to metal, to wood. We've done a lot of different things in the industry. So now, you know, we got a 40,000 square foot warehouse. Um, this business is flourishing. Um, got a lot of custom stuff. We, I mean, I'm wearing my own custom. We're, we're a lot of Mossy Oak licensee. Um, so this is our custom button downs that we build ourselves. Um, so we got rain jackets, hoodies, uh, everything from, from different, from patches to you name it, we can build it. We're just getting ready to roll out a set of fishing shirts, um, you know, that one of the owners has helped develop. So we got a lot of stuff going on and between that and we talk about the leasing companies and, and different things, we get, we got an outfitting business that we're working with right now that we've kind of partnered up and uh, myself and Matt. Hold on now. We, wait, we, wait, we, wait, 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 wait. Before you get into that, <laughs> I'm going to pump your brakes for a second now. There. I don't want to go that far into it yet. I want you to, you know, 
you've kind of went through your industry experience and what you've done thus far with it, but let's let's rewind and go back to the beginning of of Alan Bullman as a hunter first before we get into get into all this leasing talk because that's a big topic we're excited to hear about. So yeah, let's get in the hunting the hunting struggle. It was a, it was a struggle for me, and uh, you know some of these guys get lucky, some guys struggle all their life. I struggled. I struggled. I hunted public land for probably 12 years, 12 to 15 years. Didn't have private land, didn't have any anywhere to go. I started on public land. That's where I learned. I learned a lot from the guys that I hunted with. I had to learn on my own. I hunted for nine years straight and did not kill one single deer. Did not kill no. a deer till after uh, nine years of hunting. Uh, you know, uh, first year was a uh, first time I'd killed one was a doe um, in Kentucky. I was in North Carolina, lived in North Carolina, but I come to Kentucky. Beaver Creek WMA, 15-inch minimum spread area at the time, which that has since changed. Um, so we always went there thinking that the 15-inch minimum areas were where all the big deer were. <clears throat> so I, I, I killed a doe. We come back the next year, and I saw more... 140 to 160 inch bucks than I have in any ever season since that year. <laughs> I shot Dang. more arrows at 50 yards and missed more deer 140 north than I've seen since. Wow. I'd go to the store, I'd get down out of my stand, pick up my arrows, and get back up in the stand. I was, it was, I mean, I was completely a wreck, tore up, went to the store, bought more airs. I had more airs strapped on my back than uh, Robin Hood had in his quiver. <laughs> I mean, it was just a, a, a feat that I was like, okay, so the next year we practiced awesome. I could hit a, a dime at 70 yards. So it was all then. New bows, new stuff. It was a matter of how are we going to get all these deer back? <laughs> we had freezers. We had freezer. We had two freezers on the back of the camper. We had a you know drive camper, two freezers, freezer paper, everything. It's just it's a matter. Okay, we know these deer here. We seen them last year. It's just how are we going to get them all back? Because there's ten of us. <laughs> so we were going to stack them. We were going to stack them deep. Well, EHD hit. Oh okay. gosh. Okay. So y'all came so, home with one deer in the back of two freezers. We, stay, we we got there the first night. We stayed 10 days. There was one doe run out between me and my buddy on a, on a field about probably 200 yards, run out right in between us, turn around, run right back in, scared to death, did not see another deer for 10 days. Wow. What a change. Wow. What a change. <laughs> one year. One year. What year was that, Alan? I want to say back in 90 or 2006 i think 2006 right in that area when kentucky got hit pretty hard to 0506 somewhere right around in there right so when when that happened how, how discouraged were you as a hunter you know you went from one year oh, yeah, to I the mean, next I, was done. I mean i'm like you know i don't even you know it was our trip that we we took every year you know a group of high school buddies and and, and to this day we kind of stay together and we go on when me and one of my other buddies we still continue to this day go on a trip every single year 
uh, we go. Now you spend, um, but now you don't just spend time with your buddies anymore. You still spend a lot of time. Well, I say they're probably your friends now, the guys in the industry and stuff. But when when you first started getting into that side of it, did you go away from hunting with all your buddies and stuff, or you stayed with that pretty consistent? No, I stayed with it. We're always a group that's kind of stayed together. I mean, there's some that's left, come back. We trade off years and stuff like that. But uh, one of my real good friends, we continuously go. We go one week every single year together. We went to Colorado last year. I killed a five by five in Colorado my first time out. Um, and um, we definitely, we go to Kansas every single year. We've been going to Kansas. Uh, we've got some private ground in Kansas that we actually hunt and um, we really enjoy it, rag each other. Um, I've got a huge shed that we found the first time we went, and that's our trophy. So the person that kills the biggest buck when we leave there gets to keep that <laughs> shed for the year. Uh, and, and I would say that right now I'm the reigning champion for the last six years. So, uh, you know, I won't let him uh, either. I, I got to do something to make sure he doesn't kill a bigger buck than I do. <laughs> Get your trophy back. Alan, I haven't heard yeah. you mention those turkeys yet. You chase those turkeys? I do chase the turkeys. Uh, probably not as much. Um, I, my name is in the record books in the state of Kentucky. Um, a year or so ago, um, I killed an atypical double bearded. Um, and he ended up making 86 in the state of Kentucky. Um, I think it was like 800 and something in the United States as far as turned in record. And I know there's been a lot of bigger birds killed um, that's never turned in. You know, you take it to a taxidermist, you have to have it uh, notarized and those things, and you turn it into the record books. But um, I'm not even sure. I didn't even looked it up in a couple of years. I don't even know what the ranking is on it now. Did you when know? You, do you know about that ranking, Nick? Mm-mm, I don't. What is that? I mean, what is that ranked with? Is it? So, it's not Boone so and Crockett. The, uh, the the Turkey Federation. You can actually you can actually take your bird and it's it's calculated on a score from spurs weight and beard length, um, and it's typical or atypical whether it's single beard or multi bearded uh, bird, and it's done by state. So you can actually take that to a taxidermist. They fill out the paperwork. You submit that to there and then they rank you based on the size what are you laughing about <laughs> yeah we th- did, did you have that did you have that turkey on trail camera had you been watching or anything that's a joke oh my goodness yeah i'm headed in there at that <laughs> yeah, double beard this year boys he's about three and a half I'm, i'll let him walk you never hear nobody year. say that no, do you? no. Uh, you know what's funny though is we tried to score caden's turkey this year because it was so big that i looked it up but it takes the, a it takes a lot of beards nowadays. The, yeah, the number I got, and then I looked up the numbers in the record for Georgia, and it was if I did it right, it wouldn't. It was a big turkey, but it wasn't comparable to some of the records. Yeah. So, Alan, when you started filming, what did you find that was a little bit easier to film? Was it was it um, turkey hunting or deer hunting or anything else that you might have done? When I started filming, um, you know, I dabbled a little bit with the cameras and things like that, and um, I think having when someone starts filming in this industry i think you need to go out and and self-film that's where you need to cut your teeth on because if you can self-film and you can get it done and then you can have the discipline like we had to have with the show and not pulling that trigger if that camera's not on there uh you know when you've got a good 140 you know or sitting in front of you that is very very difficult um yeah 
<laughs> it's very difficult. And, you know, I ain't going to be hard for me. I'm going to say, ah, oh, I missed this one on camera. Y'all can film the recovery, boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and it was tough because I don't know show when we had, you know, eight or nine guys on there, I had to set the example. So I could not pull the trigger yeah. um, if it wasn't on camera. Um, and granted, you know, I would kill seven deer for 13 episodes and they would all be on camera and stuff like that. It, but it took a long time to get that and to physically get there. Um, and I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. And then after a while, I actually walked away from it. Um, I walked away from the filming because I wanted to get back to the roots of just hunting. Yeah. Uh, without having a camera and that's a struggle i think a lot of these guys in the industry that that film and don't film do yeah um, the, they definitely it's a big struggle and it's a it's a tug between do i take the camera or not do i want to capture it and some people say oh they love it and, and they want to keep that camera with them and they're always going to capture this and stuff like that um i kind of call bluff on that sometimes because sometimes you just want to go sit in the woods and not have nothing yeah. you know take away all of the you know the phones and, and everything. And, and I did that for a year also. Yeah. <clears throat> when you were filming, um, when you started filming for yourself, like you said, and you backed off of it, what made you turn to say, Hey, I want to be a filmer instead of in front of the camera. Um, the pressure, I mean, there's a lot of pressure in this industry and, um, you know, and I've had a lot of sponsors and, and done a lot of stuff. You know, I've done some stuff for Matthews. I've done some stuff for Hamsky. I've done some stuff for a lot of the, the companies and there's a lot of pressure um, on a show. I, I Kudos to these guys that can do it and Matt that can do it. But I mean, it's, it's very stressful and there's a lot to it. And also, it's kind of segues into a little bit of the apparel business because I got learned that my business couldn't be tied to a business. Um, so me being a filming guy, I couldn't be tied to a specific brand uh, because right now I work with seven different mineral companies. I work with six different broadhead companies and stuff like that. So um, I felt where my eye was, which I was better at photography, I was better at filming and editing and those type of things. So let me just get on this side of the camera. One, there's more money in this side of the camera uh, than on the other side of the camera because there's a lot that goes on that you have to deal with um, being the host of a show and stuff like that. It's very difficult to make it in this industry. Um, it's tough and it's getting tougher. Um, I've got my take on the industry and where it's going. Um, you know, with COVID and everything else, but uh, it's been very, very difficult. So that's kind of why I stepped up, stepped back and went on my side of the, of the camera. Um, one, I just knew it better. Uh, Self-taught 100%. Um, I'm that guy that you're saying that I can't do something, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the best and do it better than anyone else. But then again, if you come to me tomorrow uh, and say, hey, can you help me? I'm going to be the guy that's going to help you. Because I want you to be better than me, so I have someone to be better than. Um, that's been my motto from the very beginning, the very get-go. This this whole thing is um, I want to help people. I've taught photography classes, taught video classes, I've taught a lot of that stuff over the years, and and seen a lot of people excel. And I I enjoy 
getting the enjoyment of someone gaining or being able to progress in, in, in the industry because um, I think that's where it is. And, and I'm, I can help mentor some of these younger guys, I think, in, in coming up and understanding, you know, it, it's not about you or anything else. It's, a, it's about the stewardship and it's about the industry that's uh, it's very, very difficult right now with us in this industry and what's going on with it. And it's taking turns both ways, good and bad. Um, you see it every day where people, you know, they, um, they're called ship jumpers and things like that. And it's just, it's, it's been very, very tough the last couple of years to even deal with that. And I've always said that, you know, I'm going to be neutral. I'm going to be, I want, I'm willing and I'm going to help anyone that I can. Has social media changed the industry in your opinion? Um, social media has changed the industry and I, I ask because I want to know if it was for the better or the worst, in your opinion, because yeah, we've had it, our in own In my opinion, it's for the better. Why? Uh, it's 100% for the better. Uh, I think social media has allowed us to have a platform. Now, I think they're hurting us now. I mean, you've got, you know, got some of the big guys that are getting hurt right now with YouTube, with this YouTube deal, where YouTube is now demonetizing a lot of the bigger guys out there, um, and, and they're losing their money. So you're going to see a, a shift there um i think it's hurt the tv industry yeah uh a hundred percent hurt the tv industry um but i think it's where it's going and i think people you know the only thing constant in life is change and people have to get on board and they have to change with it um i do think tv is dying it's dead um, um i don't i wouldn't spend me personally i mean Right or wrong, I, I was on a pursuit channel and stuff like that. I wouldn't spend my money on TV. Oh, I would not take my sponsorship money and put it into TV. Um, I would take my sponsorship money and I would put it into live broadcast. Yeah, I think the wave of the future. I think the wave of the hunting industry right now is live and speed to market. Um, you've got to get it out there. People want that in- interaction. Uh, they want the lives. They want everything else, and, and they want it now. They don't want it tomorrow. They don't want it next year. They want. Uh, they don't want to know that you're hunting with Matthews uh, last year that you're showing this year, but you're still hunting with bear and you're promoting bear on your on your social media. It's just it's. Everybody wants to know what you're doing right now, um, and, and that's where social media is gone. And I think that's where we need to go. Um, and, and if I had my show or I was, you know, and I, I do a lot of stuff with Matt and help him out a lot, but if I was a producer of a show, I would 100% be focusing on live, um, you know, the Teradex systems and different things out there that now where you can actually do a lot of the live streaming from this. I would be in the stand filming this thing live because Facebook, for instance, Facebook's killing us they're they're, they're they, they you know they're monitoring it they shut us down they, they kick us off and all of those things with social media and youtube's getting ready to do the same thing and you've got all these places but they promote live because they want that interaction stuff like that that's one that they cannot stop you from what you're saying yeah they, and they can't they can't stop all that stuff and i think the the youtube side of things is going to be a Oh man, it's going to be crazy what shakes out with that because we had Jordan Summit on from from Buck Commander and Jordan, you know, he pretty much told us that they're putting all of Buck Commander stuff 
right on YouTube now. There is no TV show Buck Commander anymore. It's YouTube TV. What is that going to do from them? Seek one. They dropped it. I mean, they're gone. Hunting they're public. Hunting public. I mean. You know, we, me and Watson was talking about this earlier. I, I just, Alan, do you think in the future or maybe the next six months, you think there'll be something like a hunt tube? Uh, we, I had that conversation the other day, and I said that the, the guy that's going to want to take the chance and do that and can get a couple of big companies on board to help fund that because when we're talking, you know, we're talking not something small here, you know, to do that. We're talking millions of dollars to do that and do it, put the infrastructure in to do it right. Right. Yeah. Um, There's and, been ones um, that have tried. There's been these smaller tried. little share channels that have tried it and they just fail, but and, and I, I know you got Carbon TV, you got Mossy Oak Go app, Real Tree um, 365. Yeah, you got and things. You like have that. all those little apps. Yeah, but they're not. I guess realistically, the the Real Tree 365 is probably as as close to you know an app streaming service. Carbon TV, they don't have an app. You have to go through another platform to get to them. Um, Mossy Oak, Oak's app. So I mean, Mossy Oak and Real Tree are they're they're putting the the foot forward. So you know. It's, you can do those. I looked into doing the, the exact same deal that they're doing with those. And, and you can actually put that exact same app, pretending on what platform you want to put it on. You can do it for six grand. <clears throat> I can put the exact same thing that they got out right now for Apple for six grand. For another six grand, I can put it on um, Android. Doesn't matter. It's based on that platform. I can do the exact same thing that they're doing right now. It's 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 easy. Let's it's, go, Alan. You talk, said, you let's talk, go, Alan. Get cut this started. live off. We got a business <laughs> you're proposition. Talk, you're talking about like a, so, you're talking I mean, like a Mossy Oak Go app, right? Yeah, I can put yeah I can put a Mossy Oak Go Go app out there for under forty thousand dollars right now and name it whatever I want. Do the exact same thing. They're yeah, doing. And, and they're what charging they're doing, a certain amount for each person to come on. Correct. Well. You can monetize it or not monetize it. So it's totally up to you. If you want to do a subscription base mm-hmm. and stuff like that, it can be done. You have that option in this system. Yeah, it's 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 very, very easy. Hunt to, baby. Uh, a lot of that's <laughs> free subscription with ad purchases, correct? Is the way a lot of yep. those are structured. Yep. You yep. can do you can set it up to where the first three episodes are free and then if you want to subscribe to it, you can see beyond that. There is a hundred different ways that you can spin it. Uh, but I think where they're missing the boat is is they're not opening it up to the public. Yeah. yeah um, you right. gotta be approved. You gotta be this, you gotta be that. YouTube doesn't do that. Now, obviously, you know, they're a little more left than we are right, but um it's definitely, you know, and it's that's shifting and changing, but I think that's where, you know, you need to be able to let the guy that might not be able to film that, you know, good or whatever, but he's got a personality. That's right. You know, and he, he's got a GoPro or he's got a phone or whatever, and he can upload that to a particular system or an app um, and let them do that in individually. Um and I think that's where some of these apps, yeah, they're great and they look good and, and the quality is amazing, but that's not the average guy. I mean, that's not 80% of the market. And then if, if we don't get on board with, with this and, and cater to the guy that can't afford it, has to go, you know, I hate to say it, has to go to Walmart and, 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 and buy some, you know, the cheaper camo and those type of things. We need to be catering to those guys. Those are the guys that are coming up. That's right. Those are the guys that are dreaming and wanting to spend a little bit of money based on what we're telling them about 
our sponsors and those things. But you got to give them the outlet and give them the opportunity to let them think that they can dream and they can be there and be a Levi Morgan of the world and stuff like that. Um, it, you've got to give them that opportunity. And and I think some of these type of apps, and, and, I, and I might get ridiculed over this when this is all done, but I really don't care. I, you know, I'm 47 years old and, and I've seen it all in this industry and, and it should be this industry should be helping each other. A lot of those guys you're talking about going to Walmart, too, got some giants on camera. Oh, they got giants on the wall that ain't nobody ever yeah, seen. They've exactly. got bigger deer than any of us probably ever will. But I mean, you yeah. know, like we, like he just said, though, the, if the, the story, like the live, the story is what matters. Most people, like we've talked about before, they don't really care about the kill. I mean, it's nice to see it. So as long as you got a good story leading up to it, I think it, it'll still be fine to use YouTube unless somebody else opens something else up. I mean, if somebody shoots a deer, I want to see it, but – you're going to see it on their Instagram page. You're going to see it on their Facebook page. You're going to see the deer if they took it. But the story leading up to it is what catches you and draws you in. What is the what is the the one thing that you enjoy when you tell a story most? If you tell me a deer story, what do you what are you doing? Are you telling me, yeah, I shot this buck? No, I will tell you the whole thing That's from right. where I got up. <laughs> and I think, well, watching the deer yeah. pass cameras yeah. but, and all that stuff but what i'm thinking is going to happen with the whole shift you know we're in an instant gratification world now we live in a world that we want we've said this time and time again we want that instant quick feed of what's going on in that moment i almost feel like that negativity that we talked about that was in the industry the last few years that has shifted back more towards a faith-based you know you hear all kinds of people that five years ago they weren't talking about their faith and uh, the hunting world they now you've got you know the bone collector guys every episode they talk about their faith and and I didn't hear that when they first started um, David Blanton's made a huge push for that and I think in all those guys anybody that gets in camp with him must take away from it. they about have revival when they get in camp with David and and I th feel like that's the shift that's been made and it's going to take one of these prominent figures of the hunting community to say guys we need to slow down and go back to telling our story we need to tell this full scope because we owe it to the animal or whatever it may be to tell it. Not just, I shot him with a 300 wind mag at 400 yards and he's dead and you got that instant gratification on it. Yeah, it's cool to see, but what'd you get out of it? I don't remember it. But there's also people out there shooting animals in my, you know, just from stuff I've seen that didn't do that animal any justice. You know, they, oh, yeah. they took a bad shot on it, filmed it, and, and didn't do the right thing by cutting that camera off and going to take care of it if they needed to. Yeah, they they made it. Uh, they made it a, they made it a, a publicity statement for themselves that yeah, I shot this deer and and I killed it and this is this is it. This is the one thing I did. I killed this deer so I could get a picture with it. They might not even take the meat in some instances, and they've gotten away from that a lot. And but I do think there's there's need for videos like we just had on our other episode we did about processing deer. Yeah, people don't know how to do that no more. There mm. needs to be a platform out there for people to know how to do those things. There's a lot of people just now getting into hunting that don't have a clue. I've had five phone calls in the last week, people looking to, to either find a processor locally, know how we process and where to buy equipment at. They've asked those three questions. Where can I buy the stuff you talked about on that episode? Who's the local processor you suggest? They're not here anymore. Well, I don't have them. I mean, I can't tell you, hey, go down to the local processor because they're not, they're not here in our area. Mm -hmm. And 
if they are, hey, if you hear this episode and you're a processor, reach out to us. We'll we'll hook you up with some awesome That's business. Right. <laughs> I mean, we didn't we didn't mean to get down a rabbit hole, Alan, with this YouTube no, thing. No, no, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, those apps and YouTube and stuff like that. That's why people go there to learn. Uh, and get a little bit of entertainment. The entertainment has to be short. People don't have time anymore, uh, you know, to sit and, you know, and watch a 30-minute episode. You know, that's a done deal. I mean, there's not many families that probably sit around the table and have, a, you know, an actual dinner. They're sitting in front of the TV and those things. So, Do they um, not have time, Alan, or they don't make they're time? They're not making time. They don't time. make time. Right. 100% they don't make time. Um, it's it's difficult. I mean, I'm I'm typically – um, I'll get here at work at, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning on Monday. Um, I'll work till seven, eight o'clock at night. And I do that through the week. Um, and then Friday at three o'clock, I leave out and I'm headed to Illinois. And then I stay Sunday night and I drive straight into work. That's right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's just my lifestyle. It's, it's what I do. Um, I live and breathe this stuff, um, and, and hunt or help or do whatever I've got to do. But I think that what you're talking about as far as having the processing and, and hey, getting people to understand those things is we need an outlet. The industry needs an outlet for that because people, they want that information, they need information, and there's nowhere to really get that information um, in, in one centralized place. Yeah, and, and, and I know that you, you made mention that you don't, you're on the road a lot and, so you can't watch TV going down the road, but you can listen to talk about it outdoors when you're going down the road, can't you, Alan? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and I think that's the thing that that shifted a lot of people towards, you know, the podcast platform. Let's just take that, for example. Okay, well, five years ago, I didn't know what a podcast was. I mean, I didn't listen to them, but I got busy. I got, mm-hmm. I'm on the road a lot. I love keeping up with the hunting industry. I love knowing what's going on. Well, let me listen to a podcast. Well, of course, I flip on you know Spotify and find something to listen to. And I think that's the whole you know the whole idea behind when we got started. Hey, we enjoy listening to podcasts. Maybe other people listen to this and they'll enjoy it. You know, maybe they'll get something from it. Yeah. And I think. I don't know. It, it just amazes me how how far we've came in the hunting industry to take the steps back that we've taken. We've we've went ten foot ahead and, and twenty steps back, in my opinion, in a lot of ways because you've got so many people that are pushing to 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 censorship and do away with it, and we're our own worst enemy because of it. I mean, the the people that argue it, they don't have a a mindful opinion. They have a very staunch. Hey, this is bull crap you know they're very they give the name bad because they they don't understand hey you got to be tactful when you approach this conversation yeah. with someone and well i think that's where meat eater comes in i think he's the best in the business at explaining that of what you do with that animal and how you take that animal and why we're taking that animal yeah but even still you look at what's happened as of late with with meat eater and and that whole um ranella facet that's been purchased by basically an anti-hunting group and we've heard them talk about that on other podcasts and i heard them say the other day we're being infiltrated from the inside out and they're kind of doing that with youtube youtube was changing their whole goal of what's made them all the money to hey we're going to be g-rated and deer hunting's r-rated that's just not the case and we're doing we're not doing ourselves any justice no. by talking that negativity and stuff and i don't know we go down a rabbit hole. We got to find that path and the avenue to get on. But like like Alan said, it's going to take somebody with 
you know, with a, a deep pocket to help out with that that wants to push that. Yeah. But got to be careful. I think those big money people got to be careful because the left's coming after them for what they are. Yeah, I mean, the money is the root of all evil, and it's definitely taking a toll on the industry. And like I said, Alan didn't mean to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole with you, but it's it's interesting conversation that needs to be had. And if we don't start having those conversations, what are they to say tomorrow? I mean, what what if what if this platform here, we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, okay? Apple comes out and says, no more hunting talk. You're not talking about hunting no more. We're canceling your show, Okay. They do the same thing over on Spotify. They do the same thing on Google Podcasts, Amazon. We're, I mean, we're not out of a job. We're out of a hobby. I mean, because this is really our hobby. But it, it, there are people out there that rely on this for their job. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I don't know. It's funny. It's I, funny conversation. <laughs> Alan, bow hunting or gun hunting? Um, I'm a bow hunter, one hundred percent. Have I done some gun hunting? Yes. Um, 100% there too, but mainly bow. What you shooting nowadays? Um, I did pick, uh, I'm a with bear. Um, okay. so I'm shooting a bear, uh, redemption. So I'm definitely loving that, that bow. Um, you know, I've been with Matthews for quite a while, uh, did a lot of ASA tournaments back in the day. Um, say back in the day, four to six years ago, um, four years ago, um, I was fourth in the state of Kentucky in ASA, and my wife was second in the state. So we did a lot of nice. uh, traveling and stuff like that. So um, really enjoyed the bow side of things in the ASA. I'm a I'm really a spot shooter. I love spots. I love um, you know that Vegas style type shooting and stuff. So now I did really that enjoy that? Did that stick with you once you said you went up to uh, out of state the first time bow hunting to Kentucky? And did that stick with you ever oh. since then? You never let it down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, um, you know, changed whenever I was having those problems hunting. Um, it definitely changed my perspective on training and, and always having a bow available to be able to shoot. Um, and you, you're never going to prepare yourself for that, that moment. Cause you never know what's going to happen. Uh, there's so many different variables that's going to happen. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, um, my wife was in Florida hunting alligators, and uh, I was sitting in her stand hunting uh, velvet deer. It'll be my first velvet deer uh, in Kentucky, and uh, I had a one of my guys over my shoulder. He was filming, um, shot my bow two or three times before we left. We got there. This deer comes in. He's at twenty yards, broadsided. I pull back, and my loop slips out. Um, arrow goes over his back. And I'm sitting there looking back at the camera, like, what the, you know, what just happened? Um, it's just, you never know what's going to happen. We went back to the stand that was at an evening. We went back to the stand the next morning. There was another deer, just as big, if not bigger, come out. And he's like, oh, this is going to happen. And he was already shed. He's, uh, you know, he shed his velvet. And so sitting there, and I'm, and I grab my bow and I just hang it back up. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I, I've never killed a velvet buck. Um, I think that we didn't mess this deer up, um, and he had to leave that afternoon. So then I had to self film, uh, that deer sh that shows back up in the exact same spot. Um, and then I ended up killing that deer that night. So you just never know the circumstances and, um, from hunting. And I don't think we ever really prepare ourselves for hundred percent of what's truly going to happen when we're out there in the field. 
Is yeah. there? Go ahead. No, I was just saying. Yeah, there's a lot that there's a lot that can go wrong when bow hunting, for sure. Especially when that camera's there next to you, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I think there's more that can go wrong when you have the camera there than when you don't, because you don't really think about the things that went wrong if you're successful. Well, you got it on camera if a camera's there. Yeah. You know, boy, I really burned that one yeah. up. I got that. Boy, I was walking in. I crushed all them sticks. If you're walking out there, you step on Oh, no, I stepped on a stick. Yeah. Your GoPro, and as you go down through there, and, oh, oh, and then you watch it back on the camera. You're like, boy, I really stepped on that stick <laughs> off the loud. And I think it makes you, I don't know. I This is really the first year that we've done the whole filming thing. And uh, for know, ourselves, for well, uh, for me, it was uh, that the opening weekend to me, I sat the camera up and I, you know, we filmed playing with our phones and stuff like that or whatever, but really third person, you know, got the GoPro up here, got the little, the big camera down here and you're all set up and everything. And you're like, all right, I'm in the game now. <laughs> this, I have done it. And then the deer comes out and you screw up on your shot. And you're like, boy, I really wasted all that effort. Getting <laughs> but now you can go back and look at it. <laughs> yes. And, and, and I mean, and, you know, we've talked about it. It's you, you go back and you can play back and you, instead of jumping down, tracking that deer, boy, I 10 ringed him. It's over with. He's done for. Now you got it on camera. You look, well, maybe I didn't. Anybody's like, you hit it high, leave him laying for 10 hours. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's neat. It's a different, different look than we've had before. Alan, um, let's just run us through, uh, run us through when Alan Bowman gets up in the stand. Like, what do you, what, what's your, you talk about your eye. You had an eye for it. What are you filming as you get up in there? You're waiting on daylight. Are you doing openings with the people you're with or, are you shooting wood shots? Run us through all that. Uh, so, I mean, it's different for each person that I film. You know, everybody has their own style. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they, they're trying to create their own look, their own style, their own way to do it. Uh, and you guys, there's no secrets in, in filming in, in this industry. Um, a lot of people, and maybe, maybe I'm letting the cat out of the bag for some of them, but a lot of times – um, we film the deer getting shot and then we come back and film everything else. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just the way, way it is cutaways. Yeah. You know, we might have seven cameras in a tree. I mean, I've had seven to eight cameras rolling between GoPros and DSLRs and big cameras and things like that. When we know we got this big deer coming in, we've got him pegged. It's going to happen. And most of the time it don't, but <laughs> I'd hate to touch your we're, we're set up and we're ready to go. But uh, it, it's it's totally different. So that, that the question is kind of it's tough because um, everyone is different. I have to do different setups depending on who I'm filming or who I'm not filming. Um, I have to be very very organized. So at night probably I'll spend two hours organizing and I'll pull everything out of my packs and I'll put everything back in because mentally I have to know in the dark um, where every everything is when I'm going in to get set up, uh, especially if it's a new place and I've never been there and I've got to set the camera arm up and I've got to set second angles up and I've got to do all of these things and I've got to do it in a short period of time and very quietly. Um, so it's, it's tough. And anyone that's filming in this industry, if I had to give you one pointer, it would be know how to run your camera blindfolded. Know where every single button is, know what every single button does, 
and be able to do it blindfolded. Because right now, you could put a blindfold on me, you could set my camera down in front of me, and I could actually probably almost, if you had me pointed in the current direction, I could almost film it other than getting it in focus. I could almost tell you how many clicks it takes to get to what f-stop, to what shutter speed, to what function it does what. Uh, and that right there is the game changer because you don't know when that deer is going to come in or how fast it's going to come in, how long it's going to take. You better be able to run that camera, especially when you're getting paid to do this and you're getting paid to hit that record button and know that you didn't double punch that thing. Trust me, I've done it. Uh, and we, if you've not done it, you will do it. I guarantee it. Um, but you better know how to get on that deer and get those things right. And that's, the, that's probably the biggest tip that I could tell someone as far as filming and getting set up correctly is know your equipment 100% inside and out. You know he might want to buy some cameras because I'm way underprepared for filming after that little montage. Are you, are you, are you filming a lot of uh, wood scenes or anything like that, or is that just kind of – I don't know. Do you even do any of that? Uh, yeah, I do do some of it. Yeah. Um, B-roll, I mean, if – the, the industry's changed, you know, from the 30-minute type stuff to right now. Uh, the only time that I would be rolling more than about 10 seconds would be when that deer's coming in for the kill shot. Gotcha. Everything else, your B-roll needs to be anywhere from three to six seconds, period, per shot, um, to keep it interesting. Um, if it's too long, you people lose interest in it 100%. So there is a lot of work that goes in. That's why, I, to me, a seven-minute episode is a long episode nowadays. Yeah, it is. That's ridiculous to think about, too, really. <laughs> but you – and and I hate to bring this up, but uh, you look at what um, – I don't know why I say I hate to bring it up because I absolutely love it. Look at what Midwest Whitetail's doing. They're still putting out that – those long episodes but they're also doing a week-to-week kind of semi-live basis they they were really the foundation of it they're usually putting two to three four hunters in there too though so that 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 helps oh yeah i mean you're giving different views different angles things like that and now i've heard oh gosh i've heard i've probably heard in the last two weeks of three or four different companies that are doing that now. Oh, we're bringing it to you live and in person and jury's doing it. I yeah, mean, Matt, Matt was, Matt was on the season. other night with us and they talked about it on, you know, the deer cast and how they're, and that's a platform in itself, you know, going back to that a little bit, deer cast is bringing that live or semi live content to the, to the pages. I mean, they're relying on social media, but Maybe one day they don't. I mean, maybe they are the the, the start of that. They're, they're a big enough name. They could be a start to it. 100%. Yep. Yeah, it's amazing how much it's changed in the last, say, 15 years when we used to go by and sit and watch an hour-and-a-half monster boat video from start to finish <laughs> right. and not even get up, you right. know. And now we're YouTube – Click it like twenty minute, golly twenty minute. Yeah, I don't want to watch that. Yeah, no. keep going to find a shorter <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I don't. I mean, I look at those deer like Deer Society. I mean, I watch those guys, uh, the Given Right guys. I mean, I love to watch their storytelling. That Raven Project. I mean, that's going on with Randy Birdsong and Nate. Uh, they're doing a they're doing a great job of doing that storytelling. But I'm, maybe I'm the minority on that. I mean, that's that enjoys listening to those backside things. I know. It, it, not to pick on you, but Caden's age group kids, they don't care nothing about the backstory. They want the action, what's right there. I mean, what can I have right now? I don't know. Maybe there's a lot lost in that. 
Alan, did you say that was camouflage on that shirt? Everybody that's listening to our episode, we're on a Zoom call with Alan so we can see Alan. Is that a, is that a camouflage shirt? Yeah, it's actually a, it's a button down uh, for Greater Half that we actually um, developed. One of the owners actually developed it. So then we actually put on the Mossy Oak Terragilla. Um, we have it. We have the Bottomlands. We have Obsession. And then we're all also licensed to do NRA's Overwatch pattern. Uh, which I think I've got. Yeah. Check that Zoom, yeah. that Zoom video out on YouTube. Yeah, you by can the see way, this yeah. live on YouTube. <laughs> so that's the Overwatch pattern, as far as that goes. Um, just some kind of those things. We got our Bottomlands rain jackets. Um, Nick will so have one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about it at Orr's rain jacket right there. Well, Alan's um, wearing a half. You're, for everyone that doesn't watch this back on YouTube, uh, Alan is wearing a solid white. Talk about it outdoors hat. <laughs> it's a one of one. Uh, it's a one of one. Yes. Um. He. I hope he paints it red in the next few weeks. Uh. Just to just to kind of put on his shelf maybe as a keepsake. Keepsake. Yeah. Yeah, no, this will stay on the desk. It'll stay here for, to stay clean. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if I had that's not a working man's hat. Or a snuff dipper. I guarantee you the first first day <laughs> I had it, I'd grab the bill and there it'd be brown right down it. <laughs> oh, me. Well, you know, Alan, we went through so much stuff already and we've covered a lot of different topics, but I want you to tell everyone about legendary leasing and, and what, what it is and, and the outfitting programs that you're working on. Because when I first heard about it and, and talked to Matt, I immediately told him that I wanted to, I wanted to do something with you guys in some capacity with it, because I'll be honest with you, you're a very humble down to earth kind of guy that can relate to people that want to go hunting out of state for the first time, and to me, that's what it is. That's a, it's a little bit about what y'all guys are putting together. So tell us, tell us all about legendary leasing. So um, legendary leasing and soggy bottom boys outfitters. Um, <clears throat> so kind of how this come about is I hunted at the East Side Lodge, which was uh, East Side Lodge outfitting uh, about six years ago in Illinois. Um, they went out of business and a friend of mine um, took over and created an entity called Soggy Bottom Boys Outfitters. Um, so I've been hunting there off and on for the last five or six years and helped him with content, did some video work and stuff for A.H. Marshall and, you know, and his dad, Coach, uh, which was a football coach uh, um, there in Missouri. So they created this kind of entity that um, was very unique. They're big duck hunters. Um, so they have a lot of property for, for duck hunting. Some of the best in, in the, there's a refuge, there's three refuges that come together um, in Illinois, Missouri, and Kentucky. And they all come right there in one, you know, it refuges about 300,000 ducks a year. Uh, we're right beside Daybreak Outdoors. If anybody's familiar with Daybreak Outdoors, those guys, their content is absolutely insane. It's amazing. These guys do a phenomenal job. Love those guys. Uh, we're right next door to them. We're the, we're there. We're right next door. So uh, our properties border up to them. Um, so we, we kind of come together and AH and, and those guys there have definitely got the properties. Um, so we have a, an outfitting business. Um, that deal with deer, turkey, uh, and ducks. 
in three states, um, Kentucky, Missouri, and Illinois. And also we have a leasing company um, where we actually gain ground and we lease and do some subleasing and things like that out for individuals in those same three states. It just made sense for us, but um, where we all kind of come together um, as a group is um, AH, he knows the areas, he's been there, been, grew up there all his life and, you know, uh, he runs the barges up and down the Ohio and Mississippi and stuff like that. So he understands the ground and things like that. Um, I bring the content to the table um, as far as social media, content, video, all of those things, and then contacts within the industry. And, and the same thing with Matt, we kind of go hand in hand there. Um, but we're trying to create something that we don't want to do a bunch of hunts. We will we'll only cater to five or 10 guys, depending on the situation. Like we'll only have five guys in for a bow hunt, things like that. Um, Cause our focus is quality versus quantity. Um, it, it's not about making a bunch of money or doing anything like that. It's um, being able to, you know, share what we've been blessed with um, and, and have that opportunity uh, to, to share that. Um, we got some good deer. Yeah, we got some great deer. Um, I mean, we, we, but we don't do that many hunts. Um, we're just kind of, we're taking it slow, taking it easy. Um, we want to do it in a quality manner, make sure everybody's happy, everything else. I mean, we were 75% open in weekend. Um, I mean, and that's pretty good. Um, <clears throat> and we're pretty happy with the results. They were happy with the results. And, um, and on the leasing side, we've made some pretty good deals uh, here lately. And, um, and we've got some ground. We, we don't have a whole lot of inventory left. Uh, it's just that time of year, but we, right. we definitely have some ground um, that we can lease. Now, granted, our ground is not uh, the cheapest, uh, you know, and, and this stuff. And, and some people like that. Some people don't. There's two sides of that story. People think, well, people from out of state are coming and leasing up this ground. And we can't hunt and things like that. But um, I, I think we're doing it the right way. We're making sure that we've got good stewards and, and stuff that are coming in. I mean, we got a piece of ground right now. I got 100 acres in uh, Union County in Central Illinois that 192 inch deer was cut off of last year. Uh, <clears throat> and to be honest with you, the the guy that had it last year drove through the farmer's field, his bean field. So we did not lease that back to him be because of that. Um, because not only, you know, we, we've got to take, we have a, um, a commitment to us to take care of the farmer's land mm -hmm. and, and make sure that we're doing right by them also. Um, so we kind of have to work at both sides. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing once I, you know, heard you guys were, were partnering up with AH and, and you were going down that pathway to start a, you know, a leasing company, you can you take time to talk to the little guy that may, he may have no idea that he wants to go to Illinois to hunt. He may have no idea if he wants to go to Kentucky. You'll talk him through the different steps. And I've had conversations with guys that have said, Hey, you know, should we, should I lease property in Illinois? Well, I don't know. What are you wanting to do? Well, I can only go for a week. Well, maybe you should look at a sublease for a week and through you guys, you can do that and you can set up a hunt, not just a lot, a year long lease you can set up a, a just a week or, or a hunt on one of these places there is that correct 
Yeah, we, yeah, so we've got a couple of different ways we can do it. Something that I want to do different than anyone else is doing is some of our properties, I want to do a hang and hunt lease. So you guys go in, you know, some some guys are experts and, and hey, I'm not here to tell you you are or you're not. I've got 100 acres. If you want to lease that for a lower rate, you go and you do your own camp thing, find your own lodging, do your own thing. You can go in and lease one of our properties, go do your own scouting, hang it, and do it by the day if you want to. We've got those properties where you can actually go and, and, and spend five days on you know 100 to two, 300 acres if you want to, or we can lease that to you for 12 months. We can do a duck lease deal, uh, duck and deer lease deal, or we can do a fully guided hunts. We do, we've done fully guided hunts. We've got some guys that are booking that are bringing their own food. So we're gonna try to cater to the guy that really wants to, to go out of state um, and then maybe can't afford a $4,300 hunt. We're going to give you options uh, and try our best, you know, to put you in the best scenario. Um, but we're not going to do that at, at the expense of the, the deer either um, because we got to get, you know, especially when you're bow hunting, you got to get in close. I've got to have multiple sets. If you're not seeing something in a day or two, I got to be able to, you know, have somewhere else for you to go and move. So, you know, if, if I've got 10 sets, I'm only going to probably bring in three guys. I got to be able to have that opportunity and, and wind plays a huge role in this. I mean, our Illinois lodge, we've got more property uh, across Illinois, but our Illinois lodge just right there at the lodge, we got over a thousand acres. Um, I personally hunted there last year, um, January the 1st and January the 2nd, saw 24 bucks in a day and a half uh, and killed a good one. Um, but we've got it set up to where we've got the winds and stuff like that because you can't bait in, in Illinois. Right. So there's no baiting. So it, it's all based on food source. It's based on wind. It's based on bedding area. It's based on a lot of different things and um, making sure that we set someone up is it a guarantee? No, we're not. We're not high fence. It's free range. It's this is it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> but you know, I had to wade through waist deep water. I had to take my waders in because of the certain wind to get on this certain side of the bayou to be able to shoot this deer that was coming out of a bedding area based on a southeast wind. Mm -hmm. Those things we're going to have you set up for those type of scenarios. Also, that's going to the young guys and those people that want to come in, it's going to help teach them to understand the importance of being successful in hunting and, and doing those things as far as coming in on the right wind and not going in and pressuring certain stand locations and stuff based on just to try to get a hunter in and out. That's not our goal and it's not what we're about, not what we're going to do. Where can someone find information about legendary leasing right now? Uh, right now, I mean, because we're just so, so new as far as starting the company and stuff up. I mean, right now, just hit us up on Instagram, Legendary Leasing. Um, I'm working on the website, um, working on trying to get a leasing site up. Um, I'm in contact with a couple app companies. Um, so our goal in the next um, 12 to 24 months, this doesn't happen overnight, is to have our own app. Um, so where people have the ability to... Um, see you know what leases and stuff we have available with a little bit of recon from our perspective on what we've got there um we've got some texting uh platforms that we're going to be rolling out to potentially uh, that's going to allow people to be in the know 
um, and be able to put retainers down. So if I get a hundred acre lease in, uh, in the Southern Illinois, I'm going to text this out to a list. And then the first person that puts a deposit down, just a small deposit down, they're going to be able to lock that lease in um, and stuff like that, because there's got to be a way to, for us to get that information to people and, and everybody's got their phone in their hand and how do we get that to somebody fairly quickly. So we, I've got some things in the works. Um, it's it's going to take some time to get um, the platforms already been built. Um, we just got to get it in place and get some people to know about it. Yeah. And anybody that hears this episode, if you're not comfortable reaching out to Alan or on Instagram or anything else, get in touch with us and I can definitely get you his contact information. Um, I'm going to give you his over Matt's because you'll be on the phone all night with Matt's you can, right. <laughs> if you call him. But we could definitely hook you up with him for sure. But Did you say that was Tennessee, Kentucky, and Illinois? It's Illinois, Missouri, and Kentucky. Missouri. Nice. Yep. We don't have any. As of right now, we don't have any ground in Tennessee. But we're on the Ohio River. Um, so, Kentucky, it's like – it's Ballard, Hickman, that area up there. Um, and <clears throat> we're right where they all can. So you can be at our East Side Lodge and you can be in Kentucky, Missouri, and Illinois within 30, 45 minutes to any one of our uh, farms that we've got. Are you guys going to try to uh, pertain any other states around there? Uh, right now, probably not. I mean, that right there, that's very, you know, it's very time consuming and difficult to run that many cameras across three states and, and stand locations and things like that. So, uh, right now we'll probably stick with that maybe in the future. Gotcha. Um, but there's something kind of unique that we're doing. It's we're all there together and we're trying to do multiple states so we can not pressure certain areas. Um, I can tell you one thing, trail camera pictures I see, and there ain't no pressure on them, but I'm ready to put some on them one of these days. If you need information on that, hit us up. We'll be glad to hook you up with Alan. I promise you that. He's got some cool stuff going on. Yeah, Matt almost talked us into a lease. Yeah, he's sending us (laughs) pictures from Kentucky. He was like, here you go, opening weekend. This is you, boys. I'll cut y'all a deal. Y'all need to get in on this. I tell you what, dude, I mean, I'm, you know, um, it's kind of partial, you know, as, and then this is something that I don't think it's talked about either, uh, a lot in the industry is these outfitters and stuff like that is how do you be fair? You know, I, I want to know, you know, from, from the people out there as an outfitter, how do you be, I know what deer I've got. How do you know who to put on what deer? How do you know to be fair to the right person and who to put in front of that deer? I think that's a whole segment and a whole episode into itself and and how an outfitter we i struggle i mean it's an internal struggle for me is um and i'll be honest with you what we did on this on opening week of kentucky i drew straws didn't know the guys from nothing never met none of them i talked to a couple of them whatever i drew straws and and you know and luck you know one guy got the the guaranteed that they was three or four bucks coming in there guaranteed pattern everything else uh, one guy, there was a couple of bucks coming in. Um, he had a shot he missed. Um, he had a 40-yard shot he, he missed. Um, and then we had another gentleman that come in. I said, the only thing's constant is this deer's coming in. The only thing is constant, I can't tell you when. You know, <laughs> He's going to be there. He's on one side or the other, but he's going to be there. And if you'll listen to me and you'll sit there for the days that I tell you to sit there based on that wind, he's going to come in. But day two, he come in at 530. 
the wind was blowing right down that deer. That, this is an older deer. It's a seven-and-a-half-year-old deer. Um, and this deer knew when that wind was blowing in his favor, that's when he was going to come in. But we set up the location, and obviously you can bait in Kentucky, you know, um, if you ain't baiting, you're, you know, well, I think what else said, it, it, what it is, is if you ain't baiting, you're waiting, I think is what he ended up saying. Um, <laughs> I think is what we ended up seeing on one of his episodes, but uh, this deer come in, but we had a brush pile in between him. So this deer had to come around at probably 100, 200 yards. He had to make a turn. So with the, the you know, a couple of mile an hour wind coming in, blowing right down his way, he had to, he was going around it before he could get that wind. So you could see that deer coming all the way around and, and you could be prepared for that deer coming in. Uh, and he shot this deer, you know, right, right standing at 15 yards, uh, smoked him. He didn't go 30 yards, but uh, it's just knowing your deer, knowing your area, knowing the right wind, knowing what to do, when to do it. And then like in Kentucky, and I don't know if you guys can see this or see this or not, but if you can't um, go over to YouTube, you can see this picture he's about to show. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, this is not the biggest right deer, but look at the body on this deer. This is a Kansas body deer in the state of Kentucky, and he finally just, as of last night, finally started showing up and shooting light. So, um, he is a absolute... <laughs> what a tank! Absolute... absolute I mean, not the biggest rack, but are you talking about a mature deer? At this stage of the game, when they should be thin, could you imagine what he's going to look like when he swells up? It's going to be um, amazing. So uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good deer for someone. Uh, and, I, and I struggle. You know, I, I want to go in there myself. <laughs> you know, uh, one of those deals. So we kind of have to be very careful in that area too. That's uh, what I was about to ask. How hard, is, how hard is that having – all that opportunity and you know what all right here's a scenario southern illinois you got a lease there you got a tag for southern illinois you have a hunt scheduled for november the 7th guys are going to get there that sunday november the 2nd a buck 90 shows up and alan's got a tag for illinois how hard is that for you not to go and hunt that deer knowing there's guys coming there that if and and how do you make the decision not to go hunt that deer? You know, what goes through your mind? Talk me through that little scenario. Uh it, it's actually it's an easy talk. It's a quick talk. Um we have our own private farms that we hunt. Um that we don't um that we do or that we do separate. We don't include them in there. We don't. So if that big boy shows up on there, you get the opportunity to hunt. You're going to hunt it. I'm not going to hunt it. Um, we have got select farms that we kind of set to the side um, that that we're that we selected in the very beginning of the season. You know that we would hunt or not hunt, and it, it only makes sense. It's only fair, um, and it's difficult to do. Um, like I said, drawing straws, that whole, who do you put on what deer is probably my, my hardest thing. Cause I know what's there and how do I put it on there? Do I take the chance and do I put the guy that's got the camera that's going to, you know, propel me on social media because he killed a big deer and I know he's going to get on camera or do I put the guy that could barely scrape and get pennies to get there. That's probably going to appreciate it more than the other guy is going to appreciate it, but I'm probably not going to get any pictures of this deer. 
and be able to utilize it other than the ones I take at night when it comes down to it. Those are the struggles as an outfitter I'm struggling with. I don't know how these other outfitters do it. Um, I'd like to know um, because it's a, it's a true struggle for us as an outfitter and making sure we're doing right by the hunter that's coming in. Um, it's, it's, it's tough, but no, um, to answer your, back to your question, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hunt it. Uh, it's just, it, I'm not going to do it. I had to ask. It was a fair question. <laughs> He's trying to set you up for a trap. Uh, no, I was That's actually. Trying, I was actually trying to he was set gonna him up. You, for... He was going to see if you'd say Matt would go there. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely can't answer that question. Oh <laughs> my goodness! Do I have to ask him that question. <laughs> but uh, no, I know, think you you hit it on the head, and I think you're doing it the right way. Draw straws. I mean, you see outfitters mm-hmm. on TV do it. I mean, you're putting old McMillan. He does it. Hey, I'm not going to put. Johnny, come lately here. I'm gonna put, you know, old reliable. Well, I can't make that decision here. Draw a straw, and I mean, it's one of yeah. those things that it's yeah. a good way. It's to the do only it. fair way to do it. Yeah. Or have a shoot. If off. you get a big buck on camera this year in Illinois, you need to put Watson over there. Well, now let's not go getting crazy here. He got the log well, in. You my, got one right there over he, your he's shoulder. He's got the logins to my cameras, so he's gonna see it before me. I've got a good feeling about my spot. Yeah. Well, Alan. I guess the biggest thing and the biggest question I have, Nick always has a couple questions he asks at the end of the show, but I've had one that's been on my mind as of today's thought process going into getting you on. What is your favorite part of the hunting industry? Is it the filming? Is it the teaching? Or is it the actual hunting part? Um, my favorite parts are relationships. Um, you know, if I had to pick of that, um, I've gained so many friends in this industry and, and people that I can just call on and, you know, in the, in the middle of the night when the, you know, the devil's tugging on my heart really hard and stuff like that. And I just need to talk with someone. Uh, and uh, trust me, I've been there, uh, you know, and I've been through some things that, you know, we didn't even really touch on uh, that's been tough in, in my life and stuff like that. But um, relationships uh, will last forever. Uh, a deer will last for a couple minutes. Um, and um, I think that building that relationship with someone or, you know, that hunter's first thing and, and he's going to appreciate that and stuff like that to me means more uh, than anything. And, and that's really kind of where I've hanged my hat on this industry um, is as far as building a relationship uh, with someone. It's not about the money. It's not about anything else other than a relationship because it'll come back tenfold. Awesome. That was what what the answer I expected, but it's exactly the answer <laughs> I needed for sure, and, that, and that's why I'm glad I asked. So, Nicholas, hit him with it. I want to ask one a question before I get to the other two questions. Is there something that you haven't hunted yet that you want to? Yeah, um, my bucket list is a red stag, 100. percent Yeah. Um, I, I turned 50, and if my wife ever listened to this, uh, I turned 50 in you know <laughs> two years. So that's my bucket list, and I want to go to New Zealand, and I want a red stag um, with a bow. If possible, I'll take it with a gun. However, I'm going. One way or the other, wheelchair or not, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going. Uh, (laughs) Red stag is my bucket list animal. uh, Tree trunk all the way. Yeah, awesome. They're beautiful. Um, Alan, uh, what's one piece of advice that you would share somebody with with someone that – coming up in the outdoor world um 
just be true to yourself. Um, a lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of these, you know, I see this, they, you know, they come and go fly by night guys every day and they're not true to themselves. And, you know, and they, they say they've done this and they've done that, you know, if you've not done it, say it, mm-hmm. um, you know, you'll get, you'll get more respect in this industry and stuff like that than you will anywhere else. Um, and I think people want to help. You, if you need help, call me. I'll help you and do whatever you want to do. But just be be true to yourself and know where you come from. Uh, even when you do make it big, remember where you started. Um, you know, and no one's above anyone else in this, this industry. I think we're we're all in the same playing field. We're all for the same goal. That's right. That's awesome. What are you most thankful for? Uh, I'm most thankful just. And I go back to the relationships. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. I wouldn't be able to be here talking to you guys if it wasn't for relationships. Uh, and I and I'm thankful for for one being true to myself, um, and, and making sure that you know um, if it's not right, I'm going to make it right. Um, uh, trust me, I'm going to screw up and I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, I'm going to mess up some apparel. You guys are going to probably have some hats that the patches might fall off one day, but I'm going to make it right. It's going to be 100. percent I'm going to stand behind what I do, what I say, and and I know that everything I say is very truthful, uh, and it's it's from the heart. Um, and you can ask me a year from now, and I'm going to tell you the exact same thing. Well, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you coming on this afternoon and talking to us, and I appreciate you making those beautiful hats. They look good. Can you hold that white one up to the screen real quick? Yeah. <laughs> okay that is clean yeah yeah that's clean that's real clean, clean. clean. yeah oh, i appreciate goodness. you coming on man and and uh and, i appreciate yeah, we the- can actually do some uh you know printed twill patches i mean there's so much stuff we can do for you oh i've got yeah, i have been wearing your phone out already uh, and you and tired of talking clean. to him yeah <laughs> look at that uh, i just got nice. 24 in the mail from you today Oh, hold that yeah. up on that mossy oak rain jacket for a second. Let's see that. See that, <laughs> that how's that, how's that look against the rain jacket? Everybody listen yeah, to this. Y'all gonna have to YouTube and see yeah. this. The only problem is, is uh, these rain jackets have like a um, they have a coating on them. Uh-huh. So um, these are not gonna. I'm just gonna tell you right now, they're not gonna stick. But well, I just um, wanted to see it against that mossy oak again because that looks so good. For so us. how does that work about buying the like apparel and stuff from you got like that, like mossy oak stuff. Is that just something you have to get embroidered with you guys or patchwork? So, yeah, I mean, if you if anyone listening or whatever wants to definitely, you're looking for apparel, I've been doing apparel in the outdoor industry for a long time. I do a lot of apparel for a lot of different companies and stuff. And just reach out to me personally. Uh, it's probably the, be- the best way. And then I can help you to send me a message on through Facebook or um, Instagram or any of those things. What things if and, what if somebody know. wanted one of those fine button up Friday night specials you got on right there? <laughs> so this what? one right here, you can go to greaterhalf.com. Greater half. Greaterhalf.com, which is uh, the parent company. Uh, then we actually have the the mossy oak line that we have, where we have the, our hoodies, our button downs, our polos, and our rain jackets, and in these four patterns that we have licensed through mossy oak. Um, and then we're working on a brand new hoodie that should be out very, very soon. Um, it is a, a four-way stretch, kind of a wick-away hoodie. 
um, that has the closures on the side that will actually pull down so you can keep the hood down when the wind. Um, the waist will actually have a, a drawstring kind of closure. Um, these things are probably some of, uh, you know, I'm partial to it because we did it, but it definitely, um, they're going to be a game changer uh, for us anyway, as far as the quality and things for these hoodies that we're getting ready to roll out. I'm gonna need uh, I'm gonna need to get with you on that. I need that <laughs> that patch, uh, not the patch per se. You may need a embroidery or some some logo stuff do. there. <laughs> we've got quite a bit. We've got um, we've got two embroidery machines, and we got a new brand new six head embroidery machine on the way. That'll be here first of November. Uh, we've got three lasers. We just purchased a, a three foot by four foot epilogue laser um for patches and things um we do some minor decals um but our biggest purchase here lately is we just purchased a uh t-shirt printer um that prints 70 shirts an hour uh it's an industrial size printer uh it's it's um more than about two or three houses i mean it was you know north of 400 something thousand uh for the for a t-shirt printer um and it's it's amazing uh what this thing will do so uh, anybody that listens to this if you're not if you're not using allen and and slate media and greater half for your apparel you're really missing out on quality and and deliverability i mean i can hit up you know allen with an order i mean it's here within three days i mean now he's probably not going to be able to do a huge order in that amount of time but at the same time He's going to get it, and he's going to get back to you in quality, you know, in, in a quick amount Respectful of time. amount of time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm busy. I have 10,000 things going on. You're definitely not hurting my feelings by bugging the crap out of me uh, for Matt, but that's one thing that I will say that we definitely are good at is follow-up. He, he screwed up when he told me that, Nick, because the first time he said, you ain't going to bother me texting me, and I'm like, hey, Alan, hey, Alan, hey, Alan, hey, Alan, can you do this? Can you do that? Surely can you not do this? from can you. you do that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, I appreciate you coming on, too. I may uh, – oh, yeah, a little fishing decal. All that. A little fishing patches, uh, embroidered patches. That's nice. awesome. Hey, I may hit you things. up on some camera questions because I'm kind of oh, yeah. the photographer of the group and kind of got – try to get things rolling on that end so i may have some questions and i'm using and i'm unlike these guys and i'm using a dslr so that's babies right there yeah so <laughs> that's why actually what i'm gonna be filming with this year and i mean that's what i filmed turkey season and everything with so i may hit you up on some questions because there's a there's a lot to figure out on some of those dslrs as far as photography and all that it's definitely uh, glasses, you know, the main thing as far as DSLRs go. I've got a red also. I got a red Raven, um, you know, for commercial work and stuff like that. But uh, you know, it's not it's not one I want to carry into the stand for sure. I'm just carrying a Canon 80D, so I mean, <laughs> you know, nothing. Um, yeah, I started with uh, 70D, uh, yeah. Canon 70D, before I switched over to Sony. Yeah, so. I got an old Samsung. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a AB3 oh, no. uh, 40 just, over at, he bought a new, he bought over a at Dollar camera. General. That's, yeah. that's what I'm yeah. <laughs> I will tell you, though, guys, I mean, uh, the new GoPro 10 just come out. Um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at it. We just um, bought the nines. <laughs> we, we, we bought the nines. Well, in the-, the 10, um, I actually did uh, film the mat this weekend with it, and I will almost – put it up against this 
it's that good. I handheld and did a little episode. Uh, I'll send it to you guys. Alex, I'll send it to you. You guys, okay. you can share it. Um, but it is absolutely amazing. So it shoots 5.3K at 60 frames a second. You get down to 2.7K at 240 frames a second. Color on this thing is absolutely insane. I did very, very little editing, and the depth is unbelievable. Um it's you know for the price point i mean a guy could go get two of those and 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 do a whole episode the audio is amazing um I, i'm i'm very impressed uh with what gopro has done in this last go around and i'm definitely this is not sponsored by gopro at all i had to pay for it <laughs> alan before uh before we sign off with you um i'm gonna put you on the spot and ask you if you'd pick up that guitar behind you there and uh <laughs> play us a little farewell to you ain't even got to sing you just you just gotta you just gotta well i can't sing i'm tone deaf so um, play us a little song of something and and i don't want you to just play in no fast pace play something that that means a lot to alan that that's a good way to end the show okay so i started you know i've always wanted to do this and they say you, you you're never too old to learn something so i started to to learn the guitar and i'll probably sit down and and um play for a couple hours a day this is my kind of getaway i don't um uh, i'll get on youtube and i'll watch all those things and i try to learn you know how they're doing it and i'm not good at chord changing and all that stuff but um you know a lot of the these couple little songs and stuff that i've done i've been focused on writing right um you know writing lyrics and stuff like that because you have to do that from a storytelling standpoint when you're dealing with these cameras and commercials that look at so i've been really enjoying that lately from that but um i knew i'd heard your voice before ain't it ain't it that uh (laughs) here we go you don't have to be lonely at farmers (laughs) only (laughs) (laughs) is that where i heard you from you wrote that jingle (laughs) i wrote that jingle oh Um, my goodness well alan bullman take it away put us put us out of our put us out of this one yeah if i make a mistake don't laugh at me because i've only been doing this for about six months a year oh we won't we won't laugh There you go. <laughs> hey, Alan, we appreciate it very much, man, and we can't wait to uh, can't wait to talk to you very soon. All right, guys, appreciate you guys. See you, man. Recording stopped. Recording stopped. We're trying to get this Zoom call cut off. So. Oh my goodness! That fancy computer. There. I need to get me a mouse going over there. Everybody, Alan Bullman, you know Slate Media, Legendary Leasing, Greater Half. What he uh, what he brings to the table for for me and when I first met him is that how how close to Jared Mills was it like talking to? Him? Oh yeah, yes. You know that same humble, just laid, laid back, back. Yep, just so so good to talk with. 
And I want a lot of you to listen to this episode, and if you get through the end of it, to understand where where Alan comes from with his very you know laid back, humble approach is is so much different than a lot of times you hear people that are in his position. They're very boisterous and things like that, and that's just not him. He's not showboaty. He knows he's good at what he does, but he's not afraid to help anyone with it. So, yeah, I enjoyed it, man. He's a uh, he wasn't what I expected. Really? Uh-uh. No, me either. Because I mean, I've heard you talk a... about him so much, and I've never actually personally spoke to him. So I'll tell you. Um, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna put him on the spot, and he's not here, so I can do it now. Um, I was in bed one night, and it's kind of it's kind of funny, you know. You get a text message or a call from people, and they you're maybe in a funk or something like that, and it's almost like they knew you were in a funk. And I had texted him on his Tennessee deer that he killed this year. And it was it was days after, you know, he said, thanks, man, and everything. And it was maybe a Tuesday, Wednesday night, and I was laying in bed. And I was kind of – I wasn't in a funk, but I was kind of down, you know, on, on myself about some stuff that was going on. And my phone went off, and it was from Alan. And it, it said, hey, man, I just wanted to tell you I really appreciate you. What you guys are doing means a lot to me. And whether you realize it or not, you are making a difference. And I told Alan the next day, I, I texted him or called him the next day, and I was like, you know, you don't realize what that meant. And he said, well, you don't realize what, you know, meeting someone by chance or whatever it may be means to me. And so, you know, if you're if you're not following along with him, if you need anything done, you better, better give Alan a call because I promise he'll take care of you. Quality, yeah. quality stuff too. Yeah, I, I just – I did not imagine that being him. When I first seen him, he was playing that guitar, I thought it was going to be – wide open (laughs) that surprised me when he came up with that guitar on i mean it really did because that's just not who he is he's very laid back and everything we didn't even ask him if he had any good deer tied out it's hard to get to everything in one episode and i'm sure we'll have more conversations with alan in the future can't wait to get him down he's wanting to come see us see us after deer season and bring it do an episode so for everybody here at talk about it outdoors want to thank you for tuning in to another episode if anybody out there has a has an idea who left that two star review for us over on Apple. If, if it's something that if it's something that we did that offended you or upset you, give us a call. I promise we'll try to make it right. And if we can't, well, you know, sorry about your luck because we'll try all we can. That's all we can do. So I had to bring it up. I'm sorry, Nick. <laughs> but everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, thanks for being with us again tonight. Come back and sit with us again. We'll be back immediately following. Uh, Well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conversations coming up in the near future. So we appreciate you, and uh, remember, smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories.